0: So I made a decision that today, instead of the chair, I'm going to go with the the cheap music stand. Someone asked me, would you like a podium? I said, no, no, I don't deserve a podium. Give me the cheap music stand. We are in the fourth week of our series, Talk to Me, and and we've been talking about the many facets of talking to God through prayer. And I really appreciate um, when this this series kind of came about, uh, it was was, uh, a conversation between uh, uh four of us three of us who've been speaking here um charlie wasn't able to be there that evening but uh three of us and dave and uh we were talking about well if if, if dave were to take some time from from preaching what what might we preach about well the other three of us said well you know i'd really like to talk about this Well, it just so happened that all three of those things were associated with prayer and it just kind of became obvious okay Maybe we ought to be talking about prayer. Um, and so it's been great. I've been enjoying this immensely, hearing the types of things that we've been talking about. And we've been looking at prayer, I'll say, through different, um, different lenses, different avenues. Not that um, they're disagreeing or different, they're, they're all valid, unique ways that God has called us to pray. And so Charlie started by talking about the Lord's Prayer, which clearly... Um, you're pretty safe when you're talking about the lord's prayer because jesus taught us to pray that one um and then the second week uh tim talked about the best prayers which i will remind all of you was an acronym uh you know (laughs) it was a great acronym bold expectant right specific and thankful that when we pray to god that we should be bold expectant specific and thankful uh and god responds to those kinds of prayers and then last week jim it was great hearing Jim talk about reminding us of the prayer that Jesus in himself encouraged us to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers. Pray that people would be sent out to bring the good news of Jesus to those who haven't heard that good news. And so we've seen it through different facets. We've seen that God invites us to pray prayers uh, for ourselves and our families. He invites us to pray about those things that are hard. He invites us to pray about our hurts. He invites us to pray about our struggles. Uh, in our own needs, he also invites us to pray um, for people around the world that don 't know him well today we 're going to look at another way that God invites us to pray, and, and it 's something that i 've termed reckless prayers, and that might scare you you 're like, well, Brian, last time you got up and preached, you talked about jesus freaks, and now you 're talking about reckless prayers we 've got to worry about this guy. Stick with me we're, you, I think you 'll find that this is, this is pretty biblical. Um, we're going to look at how God invites us to pray prayers of surrender and yielding, right? And, and when we're yielding to God, that can feel kind of reckless because when we are praying that God would, would do what he wants, rather than what we want, we're, we're yielding our desires to him. And we don't know where God's necessarily going to call us, but we're trusting him with that, right? And we don't know, is it going to be safe or is it going to be risky? Is it going to be scary? Um so the word reckless, um, it's, it's a word that comes from the Old English, and, and it means these things. Reckless means careless, thoughtless, heedless, or showing a lack of care about risks or danger and acting without thinking about the results of one's actions. Well, in our normal context, that definition obviously has a lot of negative connotations. Recklessness is associated with crazy driving, with wild living, but with a lack of concern for others. Recklessness can be very, very bad if it's irresponsible and if it lacks compassion. But let's think about this definition in the context of faith in God and love for others. If in that in that context of loving God we are showing that we trust Him with what we trust God with with what He wants to do through us and and that we're we're living the outcome to Him then this responsible recklessness is a powerful thing. It's a good thing. It's an act of submission that shows that we trust God with our lives. See, if we know that God loves us and he has our best in mind, right? And I said he has our best in mind. That doesn't mean he has our easiest in mind. He has our best in mind. We know we can trust him with whatever he's going to call us to do. He's not going to call us to do something that damages us. Um... And and the other thing is, if if we're trusting God, then we no longer need to be constrained by fear, right? Nor do we have to concern ourselves with the outcome. Yes, we serve God because we want to see amazing things happen, but we also realize the burden of that isn't on us. God is the one who makes it happen. We, We simply submit. We do what God has called us to do, and he makes things happen that we can't make happen. And finally, in these, these, these reckless prayers of submission, we learn that finding our purpose in God is far more important than safety and security. So this morning is quite possibly going to be the simplest and uh, most practical sermon I've ever given. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you five specific, deceptively simple, and yet amazingly powerful prayers. And then I'm simply going to suggest to you that you pray them, and that you keep praying them. Because God is going to do things in your lives if you do. Um, I want to say that that most of the content, quite frankly, in in this sermon, one of the reasons why this is one of the most practical and easiest sermons I've done is because I stole it all from this guy. Uh, (laughs) Not all of it, just probably 68% of it. Uh, Kevin Harney is an author and a pastor uh, currently in California, uh, and he wrote a book called Reckless Faith. And... Uh, I read this book. We did this. Uh, the book has a small group study um, that also comes with video series. Um, and I really encourage you to get your hands on the book, the small group study. It's a great study to do as a group. Um, but he's talking about this idea of what it means to submit our lives to God and trust him uh, with, with reckless faith. And one of the chapters is called Reckless Prayer. And in this book, he, one of the quotes that he has that I, that I appreciated was this one. Kevin says this. Too often, our approach to prayer is about deciding what we want, what we like, what will bring us the greatest joy, and asking God to sign on the dotted line. At other times, we talk to God about what we don't like, the things we do not enjoy, and we tell God that we would like to have Him protect us from anything that brings pain and inconvenience to our lives. Reckless prayer, as modeled and taught by Jesus, is about surrender to the will of God. It is focused on asking for His kingdom, not our own, to come even when it is hard and costs us greatly. Reckless prayer is counterintuitive and utterly selfless. This morning, our big idea is this. Our big idea is that God invites us to pray reckless and also say transcendent prayers. These are prayers that glorify him and prayers that benefit others. He invites us to pray prayers that are reckless because we're putting all of our trust in God. God, I'm going where you lead me. And prayers that are transcendent because it's looking beyond ourselves to what God wants to do in the world around us. God invites us into those prayers. And we're going to be looking at five of those prayers today, as I said. And here, here just real quick, here are the five prayers we're going to be looking at. Your will be done. Grow your fruit. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Open my eyes to see and let me feel what you feel. Did you get them all? Great. Okay, that's it. We're done. No, okay. Um, We're going to walk through each of these. We're going to start with your will be done. And I call this the reckless prayer of yielding and obeying. So in the first week, uh, Jesus spoke from the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus taught each of us to pray this prayer. And it's a prayer that says, let your will be done, God. If you remember in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Our Father, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So so Jesus taught us to pray those words, but Jesus didn't only teach us that, he also modeled that. This is not the only time in Jesus' life that he prayed the words, your will be done. The other time recorded in scripture where he prays that, or, or another time that, that records that he prays that, is in what is quite possibly one of the most difficult moments in his life. It's when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knows he's about to be arrested and taken to the cross he knew he was about to be betrayed by a close friend right he was about to be betrayed by Judas he knew that all of his other friends were going to desert him and he knew that in the moments that were coming just within the next day he was going to be tried that he was going to be tortured and that he was going to be nailed to a cross and In addition to all this, he knew that he was going to take all of our sin and the punishment associated with our sin on himself, even though he himself had never sinned. All of this was in front of Jesus at that moment in the silence of the garden. And in that moment, Jesus prayed these words. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Kevin Harney, in his book, wrote when he talked about this moment in Jesus' life, he wrote these words. Jesus lifted up one of the most reckless prayers in the history of the world. When Jesus declared, your will be done, it was not lip service or religious jargon. This is the prayer of a yielded heart. Jesus, God in human flesh, yielded his life in absolute and reckless surrender to the will of the Father, no matter what the cost. This kind of prayer becomes a launch pad for reckless, adventurous, world-changing action. Jesus demonstrated his willingness to yield to God's plan, trusting that God would bring world-changing things out of it. And world-changing things did come out of it, right? For all of us here. We have salvation. We have forgiveness. We have freedom because of what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, Father, your will be done. He yielded to the Father. And amazing things happened. In that day, in our day, through eternity, because of Jesus yielding to the Father, your will be done. And great things can happen for us, too, when we yield ourselves, when we submit to God, and pray that he would accomplish his will in our lives, even when it might be different from what we might choose to do for ourselves. Now, of course, when you pray, God, your will be done, you kind of got to follow through, right? (laughs) You have to be obedient. You have to then follow after God, whatever he calls you to do, to step out, I'll say, in our own reckless and adventurous and world-changing action. And that might be scary. That might seem reckless. But let me tell you, I think that in doing that, we're going to find More blessing, not less, than if we went our own way. Your will be done. Yes, it is a sacrificial prayer. But I think it's really sacrificial in the near term. Because doing what God calls us to do and walking in step with him is always what's best for us and the people that we love in the long run. It always is. When I look back over my life, The most significant moments, the most meaningful moments that I'm going to remember are going to be those when I gave of myself for the benefit of another. It's not going to be the times that I got something for myself. It's going to be when I gave of myself. Why is that? Because those are the moments when I connected with my purpose. God built us to want to be transcendent, to want to reach outside of ourselves and love others. My purpose in life, Jesus said, is to love God and love others. And so I'm going to remember the moments when I did that. Those are going to be the most meaningful. Those will be the moments that matter. And so if we want to come to a place where we love God and love people better, then we need to make make a common practice of praying the simple but reckless prayer of, Lord, your will be done. Okay, that's the first prayer. What's the second one? The second one is grow your fruit. It doesn't sound much like a prayer, does it? Well, <laughs> you'll see here in a minute. I call this the reckless prayer of pruning and maturing. This is referring, as some of you probably figured out, to the fruit of the Spirit. Paul, uh, in his letter to the Galatians, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and it's in Galatians 5, starting in chapter, uh, sorry, uh, verse 22. It says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control god wants to grow these fruits in us and in the ones that we love and um and so of course it's natural that he would respond if we pray for him to plant those things and grow those fruit in us um now i'll say this if, if we ask god to grow these fruit in our lives a likely thing that's going to occur is that we're going to find ourselves in places of what, what Kevin Harney refers to as the fertile soil of transformation. Sounds nice, right? The fertile soil of transformation. What does that mean? It means you're going to pray for patience and the same day you're going to have the worst traffic you've had in three months. <laughs> doesn't happen to you. It happens to me. Okay. Um, when you pray that God will grow fruit in your life, we're going to find, yeah, we might be tested in those things. God is going to give us opportunity to demonstrate that we're willing to grow in those fruit, that we're willing to allow him change our character, because it's really about a character change, right, as God grows his fruit in us. And no, we don't do it on our own. We can't. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's got to work in us. But we're given opportunity again and again, when we pray for it, to demonstrate it, to live it out. Another thing um, that will happen is if we want to grow the good fruit in our lives, we're going to have to let God prune, a- prune away the not-so-good fruit in our lives, right? In in this chapter in Galatians, Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with bad fruit of worldly living, things like lust, hostility, quarreling, ambition, envy, and dissension. Growing good fruit means that we're going to have to let God prune away the bad fruit. If we want to mature, if we want... Um, we need to let God prune away those things that aren't productive in our lives it's hard but it's a natural and necessary part of the process Uh, one thing i wanted to share about from from kevin's book and this idea of grow your fruit we can pray this for ourselves but it's also um a blessing and, and a source of 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 real power to pray it for other people he gives a specific example he has three sons he and his wife have three sons and he says that um from the time they were like 1, 3, and 5, I mean, they were little still. They're all in their 20s now. Um, he felt God compelling him to pray for the fruit of the Spirit for his sons. And he's done it for decades now. And he said he's lost count of the number of times that he felt God encouraging him to pray a certain fruit for one of his sons and then seen tangible changes over time in them because God was doing the work. God was honoring the prayer. And so this was... Uh, uh, Adrian and I talked about it. We thought it was a great idea. We need to do this in our family. And so we sat down as a family, the four of us, and talked about what fruit do we see that we would like God to grow in our lives. And we were open with each other and we shared what those things are so that we could pray for each other. And, and we've been praying that God would grow those fruit in my wife, in my sons, right? And I'll say, too... Um, um, and, and I don't know that, that they know this, but I've let God take me out, out of the bounds. You know, They might have said they wanted to pray for this one, but God may have said, I'll pray about that one too, and I have. So <laughs> um, It's a powerful thing to pray this for the people that you love. The fruit of the Spirit are a blessing that comes from God and that, that he wants to give to each of us. And so if we're willing to ask, he's going to start the work of pruning and the work of maturation in us. Okay, that's number two. The third one. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I call this the reckless prayer of seeking and listening. Uh, this prayer comes from the story of Samuel. And you may know Samuel. He was uh, a powerful prophet uh, in Israel uh, before um, before King David. Um, and... Uh, Um, at this point in in his life, he was actually a boy. He was just a boy at this time serving in the temple under the priest Eli. And one evening, Samuel is asleep in his room, and the Lord calls out to him. The Lord says, Samuel, Samuel. Well, Samuel wakes up He doesn't see anybody. He just heard this voice. He assumes it's Eli. He assumes it's the priest. And so he runs into the other room and says, Master, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't. I'm tired. Go back to bed, Right? Well, this happens three times. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, runs to Eli. You called me. The third time, Eli realizes what's going on. And he says to Samuel, go back and lie down. If you hear the voice, call your name again. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so that's what happened. Samuel went back. And the Lord came and called us before Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. And if you know anything about the life of Samuel, you know that from that point on, Samuel heard the voice of God um, in ways that, that are beyond what most people in the Bible experienced, right? He had a close relationship with God such that he was in constant communion and, and conversation with God. And, and, and so we might be tempted to think that Samuel's special. Right, He had that special relationship with God, that's why he could hear God. And, and yes, he had devoted his life to God in ways that allowed him to hear the voice of God, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to hear his voice in the same way. In fact, Jesus himself seems to say the opposite. According to Jesus, hearing his voice should be normative in the Christian life. We should all be able to hear his voice. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the shepherd. And I hate to break it to you, we're the sheep, okay? We're smart sheep, but we're sheep. Um, um, The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus said that we would know his voice. He wants us to know. He wants us to know what he has to say to us. Did you, did you realize that, that God actually wants you to know, for example, his will for your life? We act as if he doesn't like he's hiding it somewhere, it's under a rock, got to search for it. God wants you to know his will for your life. Now, admittedly, he may not be rolling out the 10-year plan, okay? He may not be giving you everything, and so following him is still going to be an act of faith. But he does want to show you what to do in the next step. He wants to speak to you about the next step, and each step along the way that you are leading, you are following him and where he is leading you. But even more importantly than that, Jesus wants you to hear his voice so that you can be drawn closer to him in relationship. Right? He wants you to know how he feels about you. He wants you to know how he feels about you. So if we're not hearing the voice of God, there may be a few different reasons for that. The first, um, kind of obvious, is we may be going the other direction. Right? We may be deciding to go our own way and, and, and are being disobedient to what God is calling us to do, and we're avoiding Him. right? Because we know if we hear the voice of God, it's not going to be to condone the decisions we're making. So that's one reason we may not be hearing from God. But, but another reason, that it isn't because of disobedience, could simply be because we need to take the time. We need to slow down. We need to quiet down. And we need to invite God to speak to us so that we can hear what he has to say. The problem is sometimes we let the busyness of life and, and other lower, lesser priorities get in the way. So, so how do we make space to hear from God? It's, it's really not that hard. <laughs> the first thing that we can do and we should always do of course we hear through God through scripture we hear from God through scripture we unfortunately we too often take scripture for granted right we don't read the bible as often as we should but it's 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 a pity this is there are people who say that this is God's love letter to us this is God speaking to us in the scripture he has laid that out for us for our benefit we need to be turning to scripture to hear what God has to say to us but God doesn't just speak to us through the written words on the page God can speak to our spirit directly by his spirit. Now, you may not hear an audible voice. It may just be an inclination, something that you feel God is saying to you. But if it aligns with what scripture is telling you, that may be God encouraging you or challenging you in a way that you need to be challenged so that you can be refined and pruned and matured. God can also talk to us through other people, right? Particularly people who love God and who love us, that care about us, and particularly if they're people that pray for us on a regular basis, God may may give them things to share with us, or just as they're sharing with us, we hear something from God in that. Um, and then we can even hear from God as we interact with the events around us, and we're given the ability to understand how God views them. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but but that's a way we can hear from God as well one thing that we do need to remember is always when, whenever you think you're hearing something from god through any other medium you always have to check it against scripture right as we in the the evangelical covenant church affirm the scripture is god's only we say, we say it's the god's only perfect rule for faith doctrine and conduct it is the standard by which we measure all other things and so if we think god is telling us something we need to, to, to look at scripture and say does this align or not and if it does then we can be confident that God is saying something to us. Um, but what other ways can we make space for God to speak to us? Well, so um, real simple, basic. Sit down with your Bible. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Open your Bible. Read. Then meditate. Meditate and stop and think and listen for a while what God might be saying to you, right? It it really is this simple. It really is. Because we've got to believe that God wants us to hear from him. Another thing we can do is we can ask God questions and wait for him to answer. What do I mean by that? Well, um, we can ask God questions like, God, how much do you love me and how have you shown me? Right? We can ask questions like this. God, what attitudes in my life are hurting me and are standing between me and my relationship with you? We can pray, God, is there someone you want me to show your love and grace to today? Just through some act of service. We can pray those things and see what what God brings to us. God will speak to us in those moments. He really will. I'd I'd encourage you to make a day of it. And... um, I've actually done this a couple times, and I particularly remember the first time I ever did this, where I said, today, I'm committing today to be a day that I am listening for God's voice in my life. And the first time was when I was, I was actually on a business trip many years ago, and it was a, a particular time when I, I needed to hear from God on, on several things in my life, and I felt like I, I need to make a commitment to say I'm listening. And so that morning I got up and I said, God, I'm listening. I want to hear whatever you have to say to me today. And i got to tell you, there were so many different ways that day that God showed up and revealed things to me that I would not have come across otherwise on my own. Realizations, things that came into my head that were just from him. He, he, he came through for me. I said, I'm listening, and he spoke. God does these things for us. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We need to be confident in that. There are many ways we can make space for God to speak, but in the end, it really comes down to the simple act of telling God that we're listening and then stopping long enough to do so. Okay, now the fourth reckless prayer is this. Open our eyes so we can see. I call this the reckless prayer of perceiving and believing. Our God is alive and present and active. God is always at work. But sometimes our eyes are not attuned to see what he's doing. We more easily see what's natural than what's supernatural. And we see what's temporal instead of what's eternal. And so we need to pray that God would open our eyes to see what he's doing and so that our faith can be built up. Because that's one of the natural things that comes out. When we see God at work, when we see God working, a natural result of that is our faith is built. There's a, a fascinating story in 2 Kings that conveys this idea and where this prayer... Is used. Um, so this is a story of Elisha. This is this is later. Uh, sorry, this is well. This is in the life of Elisha the prophet of Israel. And um, Elisha and his servant, um, at this point in the story, are are in a particular town and they're surrounded by an, the Aramean army. Well, why is that? Well, the Arameans and the Israelites were at war with each other at this time. And and the the king of Aram said. You know, he would tell his troops, I want to go attack Israel here. So we're going to mass our troops and we're going to go attack them there. Well, God would reveal this information to Elisha. He'd go tell the king of Israel. And when the king of Aram showed up at that particular location, the Israelite army was waiting for him. Well, this happened several times to the point where the king of Aram was really angry and he thought he had a traitor in his midst. And one of his officers said to him, no, no, king, it's not one of us. It's the prophet Elisha. Elisha knows what you say even in your own bedroom. Because God was revealing it to him. So the king of Aram got this great idea. Hey, I know how to fix this. Let's go get Elisha. Right? Didn't work out for him. But anyway, so they find out that Elisha and his servant are in this town called Dothan. And they go surround this town. And so we pick up the story right here. 2 Kings 6 verse 15. It says this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. In case you're wondering, horses and chariots of fire isn't the Aramean army, it's God's army. The thing that's fascinating to me in this story is that Elisha and his servant are in exactly the same place. They are both surrounded by the Aramean army, right? They're in the same place. The only thing that's different between them is their perspective right? The servant had a natural perspective, seeing only the enemy. Elisha had a supernatural perspective, seeing the army of God. The servant perceived things the way that they appeared, and his false perception led him to a place of fear. Elisha saw things as they actually were, and his proper perception led him to a place of faith. To see the world through God's eyes is to change our lens of perception, to stop thinking in merely human terms and to see things the way God sees them. If we're not seeing God at work around us, if we're not seeing what God is doing, we may have the wrong lens, the wrong perception. And what we should do is simply pray. God, open my eyes to see what you're doing. God, I'm not seeing it. Help me see it. And when we begin to see God at work, it'll build our faith, right? We won't be held back by our own limitations. We won't be held back by fear. But instead, we'll be propelled forward, aware of God's limitless power. And the thing I think is great about this is we don't have to buck ourselves up to faith. We don't have to make faith happen in us. It's a natural occurrence when we see God working. When we see God at work, our faith is built. Okay, that's number four. Now we're going to the last one. Let my heart feel what you feel. I call this the reckless prayer of caring and connecting. Our God is not distant. He's near and he feels deeply. One of the most powerful things about Jesus' incarnation, the fact that Jesus came to earth as a person, is that he put human flesh on God in a way that we could see God's loving character. Right? We could see it demonstrated. And Jesus' ministry was full of selfless acts of compassion culminating in his giving of his own life on the cross. Matthew 9.36 is, is an example of where it talks about the compassion that Jesus showed. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was driven by compassion. As the son of God, he had the heart of God. He said that the greatest commandment was to love God and to love others, and that characterized characterized his life's mission. He wasn't clouded by personal ambition or desire for ease. He sought only to glorify his Father and to love each of us into his kingdom. Naturally, his compassion led him into places where people were hurting. One such example is is captured in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, where a man with leprosy came to him and kneeled on the ground before him and begged Jesus to heal him. And the Scripture says Jesus was moved with compassion. Not only that, it says that he reached out his hand and touched the man. I know many of you have heard this before, but something you didn't do was touch a leper. It's a skin disease. Jesus didn't care. Jesus had reckless faith in his father. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And he reached out his hand, he touched the man, and he healed him. Today, we are the body of Christ in the world. Today, we are called to further the same mission to love God and to love other people. And in a broken and hurting world, that means we're going to come into contact with broken and hurting people And that means our hearts are going to be broken too. Um, Many of you are familiar with Bob Pierce. He founded um, uh, two different, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Two different humanitarian organizations. He founded World Vision and Samaritan's Purse. And he famously wrote this phrase in his Bible, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Sometimes our hearts need to be broken by the things that break the heart of God so that we'll be compelled to act on his behalf and love people the way they need to be loved, where they are, where they're hurting, where they're in need. Not that many weeks ago, we had the opportunity here in this very building to hear several people talk about ministry opportunities we would have on the G-City weekend. More than that, we got to hear the heart of people Start to, whose hearts had started to be broken by the things that break the heart of God we got to see people whose hearts were aligned with God as they talked about meeting the needs of foster children meeting the needs of the homeless meeting with elderly people in care facilities these people have broken hearts you could hear it when they spoke to be broken in this way is a hard but beautiful thing. In these moments, we have the heart of God. It's a beautiful thing to have that heart in us and to be broken. We, we need to recognize then that we need to make the movement from a broken heart to active hands and active feet. We need to be the hands and feet of God, right? We can't stop with just the emotions We need to do something about it. That's what Jesus did. He was moved by compassion. Compassion didn't sit. It moved, right? I've long been impacted by that prayer by Bob Pierce. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. But you notice I didn't use that exact phrase. I said, let my heart feel what you feel. That's actually the way that Kevin Harney put it. And and I actually appreciate that he phrased this a little bit differently, and I'll tell you why. I, I like it because God doesn't only want us to feel his broken heart for a hurting world. He also wants us to feel his joy over his people. Let my heart feel what you feel is also a prayer that we would sense the love God has for us and the joy he takes of walking through life with us. Did you know that God celebrates over us? We need to feel that too. We need to feel what God feels about us. That deep love, that celebration. This morning we sang how he loves. And, and, and maybe some of you weren't comfortable singing that while singing about how he loves us. He wants us to know he loves us. He wants us to know that. That's part of what it is to feel what he feels, to feel the hurt that he feels for those that are hurting, but to feel the joy he has over his people, over us. There you have it, five simple prayers. Five simple but life-altering prayers. So what's my exhortation to you today? There it is. Pray these prayers. Pray them again keep praying them. Do it some more. Make praying these prayers a part of your life. God, your will be done in my life. God, grow your fruit in me and in my loved ones. God, I'm listening. Speak to me so that I can hear what you have to say. Open my eyes to see what you're doing. Let me feel what you feel. As you pray those things, God might bring more clarity, might bring more specificity, and so add that in. What what does that look like? Well, I'll give you a few examples. God, this diet is hard, and I struggle to get up at 5.30 a.m. every morning to exercise and read my Bible. God, grow your fruit of faithfulness and self-control in me. might look like this. God, I'm going to be seeing Joel today. You know that I don't react well to him sometimes. Open my eyes to see him the way that you do, and change my heart to feel toward him the way you feel. Grow your fruit of patience and gentleness in me toward him. It might look like this. God, we have a big decision in front of us. And we want to make sure that choice honors you. We want to follow your will, not our own. Speak to us, Lord. We want to hear what you have to say about this. There's any number of ways in every day... You can be incorporating these prayers into your prayer life with god and amazing powerful things are going to happen and these prayers will almost always be linked with action right the fertile ground of transformation where god is giving us the opportunity to follow through an obedient response to him in these moments we need to choose to submit to god and fully immerse ourselves into his leading and guiding fueled by his spirit as he leads us into the reckless and adventurous and audacious and world-changing path that He has for us. Let's pray together. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that that prayer doesn't have to be hard. That prayer can be simple, genuine. um, But God, thank You that that you call us sometimes to pray yielding prayers. Prayers of submission, prayers of surrender. God, we know we can pray those because we know you're good. And surrendering to you is, is so much better than surrendering to, to the whims of this world, or our own folly, because you always want that which is good in our lives and in the people that we love. God, make these prayers a reality to us. Make these prayers a part of our prayer vocabulary. Um, Teach us to practice these prayers in ways that honor you and let you work in us and do your will in us.